0: Shalom, brothers and sisters, I'm Brother Sid, i have Brother Christopher assisting me today. We are the Commandment Keepers Church. We have a detailed lesson prepared for our brothers and sisters internationally. The title of today's lesson will be The Mystery of Pleasure and Pain, brothers and sisters. The Mystery of Pleasure and Pain. Brothers and sisters, there's a basic human tendency to seek pleasure and avoid pain. Guess what? This particular principle is at the base of hedonism. The idea that life is to be lived to the full in pleasure sought as a primary goal. Brothers and sisters, there is a science behind all human action. Okay, all human action is ultimately motivated by desires for pleasure and the avoidance of pain. So every part of your psyche, every part of your psyche, brothers and sisters, is influenced in some way by this pain-pleasure principle. The more we understand human behavior, brothers and sisters, the more we understand how to operate in righteousness, what path to avoid, brothers and sisters. What we'll break down today is... Every decision, every decision that you make is either to seek pleasure or avoid pain. For example, brothers and sisters, why do you go to work? Why do you go to work every day? I go to work so I can eat. Why? What happens if you don't eat? I die. Exactly. So you get up and go to work so you don't die from starvation. Every decision that you make is either to seek pleasure or avoid pain, brothers and sisters. Now, guess what? Those who look to oppress us understood that what? Mental health, brothers and sisters, that's going to be what you're hearing now. Mental health, mental health, mental health over the next, over the last 10 years. That's become a popular word all in the earth today, brothers and sisters. Why is that a popular word? They understood during the last days. During the last days, brothers and sisters, there will be a high, high level of mental health issues. Today is our second installment of our three-part series concerning mental health, brothers and sisters. Our first part was titled, What Lies Beneath, brothers and sisters. That was the first part of this three-part series. Here is our second part series. This is going to be a three-part series on what, brothers and sisters, understanding human behavior as it pertains to what? Mental health. Okay? We're going to Deuteronomy, the 28th chapter, the 28th verse. We're going to have Brother Christopher read the 28th through the 29th verse. Deuteronomy 28 and 28. The Lord shall smite thee with madness and blindness and astonishment of heart. Look at that. The Lord shall smite thee with what? With madness. With madness, brothers and sisters. You see that? So that's craziness. You see? Read. And blindness. Blindness. That's a state or condition of not being able to see. Doing what? Implying a state of confusion, right? And astonishment of heart. See that? So it's astonishment of heart. That's the confusion. Read that one more time, brother. Verse 28. The Lord shall smite thee with madness. With what? With madness. Madness, when you look it up in the Hebrew, brothers and sisters, it's an irrational state of not having a right mind. So he's telling you that in the last days, as a part of the curse, he would smite us with what? Mental illness, continue. And blindness. Blindness, that's the state or condition of not being able to see, which leads to what? And astonishment of heart. Confusion, brothers and sisters, continue. Verse 29. And thou shalt grope at noonday, as the blind gropeth in darkness. Read that again, brother. And thou shalt grope at noonday. Thou shalt grope at noonday. As the blind gropeth in darkness. Groping, brothers and sisters, is a powerful picture of the Israelites reaching about uncertainly. You see that? Feeling their wear. Blindly searching. See that? Read that one more time, brother, please. Deuteronomy 28 and 29. And thou shalt grope at noonday. As the blind gropeth in darkness. And thou shalt not prosper in thy ways. Look at this. We shall not prosper in our ways. And thou shalt be only oppressed and spoiled evermore. Thou shalt only be oppressed and robbed more, Evermore. See that? So when it says spoiled, that actually says robbed in the Hebrew, which means to take away something by force or by stealth. So he's telling you that somebody would not only oppress us, But they would rob us constantly, brothers and sisters. And what? They would attack our mental health. See that? The Lord shall smite thee with madness. Why is it saying the Lord shall smite thee with madness? Why? Because he's allowing the white man to do this. Why? Because of our disobedience, brothers and sisters. Our continued flagrant negligence concerning his law. See? Let's talk about this today now, brothers and sisters, because this is something that is at an all-time high. It's a word that you're hearing all in the earth now, mental illness. Okay, let's deal with that from a biblical perspective. Let's go to 2 Peter 3 and 18, brother. Let's go to the New Testament, brothers and sisters. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. 2 Peter 3 and 18, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, according to the Apostle, we're reading a mandate for growth in the knowledge concerning the Messiah. Peter urges his readers to grow in two areas. Brothers and sisters, the grace of Christ and their knowledge of him. Let's read that one more time. Why? Because Peter describes Christ as both our Lord and our Savior. Let's take a look. Verse 18. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. See that? So according to the author, the Saviorhood and the Lordship of Christ are inseparable. Brothers and sisters. Did you notice that? The scripture teaches us that he is both Lord and Savior, or he's neither. So this is progression now, brothers and sisters, all right? So why? The first thing we need to know is mental illness starts with what? This right here. An inability to see Christ clearly, brothers and sisters. People who see Christ clearly don't have mental illness, okay? (laughs) And we're going to talk about that today. Let's go to 1 Timothy 4 and 16, brothers and sisters. 1 Timothy, the fourth chapter, the 16th verse. 1 Timothy 4 and 16. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Read that again, brother, please. Verse 16, take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Look at this, brothers and sisters. This is a letter that Paul is writing to Timothy. Now, according to the text, being doctrinally correct is excellent, but it's inadequate. You see that, brothers and sisters? Read that one more time, brother. 1 Timothy 4, 16, take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Take heed unto thyself and unto thy doctrine. Continue in them. See that? So Paul told Timothy to take heed to his own life first before his teaching, brothers and sisters, if he wanted to save himself and others. So this is it. See? So, the author teaches that doctrinal analysis is of the secondary importance. It is not primary. It's ancillary. He said, do what? Read that again, brother, please. Verse 16. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. So, this is key. The way we live is more important than the doctrine we follow. Okay, brothers and sisters? Because there's going to be people who get in without the right doctrine. Okay? Why? Because they were under grace. (laughs) And they live the right way, even though they may have not had all the correct points on doctrine, because why? He said, do all things that the Pharisees tell you. He said that. So that means that the Pharisees had the correct doctrine. But then he said, you know, how shall they escape damnation? How shall they escape hell? So here in one hand, he says they have the right doctrine, but it'll be hard for them to escape the damnation of hell. Which means what? You can have the right doctrine and still not escape the damnation of hell. And Paul was breaking this down to to Timothy. Let's read that again, brother, please. 1 Timothy 4 and 16. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this thou shalt both save thyself. Now this is why we went there. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself. So there's something you must do to deliver thyself. See, Christians never say this. (laughs) It's all on God. Everything's on God. Well, God, if you want me to have cancer, I'll have cancer. Well, God, if you want me to be healed, I'll be healed. No. No. Take heed unto thyself. For in doing so, Thou shalt save thyself and those whom hear thee. Let's take a look at John. Let's go to John, brother, 7 and 17. Let's go here. John, the seventh chapter, the 17th verse. John, 7 and 17. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. See that? So this is where we begin. A willingness To do anything that God commands will alone qualify us to know what his perfect will is. Okay? Whether or not a person is willing to obey God is what affects their ability to learn. Read that again, brother, please. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine. See that? So only if a man is willing to do God's will, he will know God's will. See? If uh, if any man do what, brother? If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine. According to the text, which one comes first, doing or knowing? Let's read that again, brother. John 7 and 17. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. See, so some want to know God's will first before deciding whether to obey it or not. But the Most High God does not reveal his will to such people brothers and sisters. okay a willing submission to the most high is the foundation for understanding okay according to christ you learn by doing see that so that's the first thing you must know when battling mental health okay that you cannot bring logic into the bible the Bible is not logical. Okay, it's spiritual. It's divine. Okay? So you have to take logic out of this. Because if logically, you're doing, you know, what you want to do, you should have a happy life, right? According to the Bible, those who follow His law are happy. <laughs> so it's, 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 the Bible... Is the complete opposite of what the world sees. The world sees I party, I get to do what I want, sleep with whoever I want, you know, you know, eat whatever I want, you know, smoke and do drugs whenever I want. Okay, well, you should be happy then, right, brother? You should be right. You should be happy, right, sister? No, I've never met a depressed person who actually followed God's laws. I've never seen that. Because why? Depression comes as a form of disobedience. It comes as a, excuse me, it comes as a result or consequence of disobedience, just like we saw Deuteronomy 28 and 28, where the Most High said our mental health would be under attack, okay, and guess what, Esau, in his society, he pushes a lot of psychology, okay, a lot of social engineering, that's why you got to watch your children in these schools, brothers and sisters, okay, okay. This is why you need to watch your children in these schools. Because why? They know how fragile children are. And they're attempting to target the mind, brothers and sisters. They are attempting to target the mind. Let's go to John 1 and 4, brother. Same book, just a different chapter. John 1 and 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Read that one more time, brother. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Look at that, brothers and sisters. It is the life that is the light, not the doctrine. You see that? (laughs) Okay. So you can be in darkness with all the right doctrine. And we have to put that out there because there's people who are Israelites who have mental illness, who know they're Israelites. So this isn't for people who, you know, just Christians. There's people who are Israelites, know they're Israelites, and are dealing with mental illness, mental attacks from the specters and chittings, as the Bible tell you. Really, it's actually in the suit of picker. For we we'll tell you, in the last days, there will be a, a large amount of attacks of demonics, of, of, of de- demonic spirits, brothers and sisters. It's in the pseudepigrapher. It's actually in 2nd Baruch. 1st Baruch is in your apographer. 2nd Baruch is in your pseudopigrapher. It's there, brothers and sisters. It's there. Follow us to Mark 1 and 21, brother. The mystery between pleasure and pain. We're going to have Brother Christopher read verse 21 through 27. Mark 1 and 21. And they went into Capernaum and straightway on the Sabbath day he entered into the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished of his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. He taught them as one who had authority and not as a scribe. So what does this tell you? It tells you that scribes are teachers. See that? Because it says he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. Obviously, that implies that these scribes are teachers. So, brothers and sisters, in order for you to actually understand the caste system in Israel during this time, the top top theologians were the scribes. And then you had the Pharisees, okay? So it always says scribes and Pharisees, scribes and Pharisees. Rarely does it ever say Pharisees and scribes. Let's read that again, better. Mark 1 and 21. And they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day he entered into the synagogue. So he entered into the synagogue on the Sabbath. See, this is why we teach on the Sabbath. This is why we follow the Sabbath. And taught. And they were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one that had authority, and not as the scribes. Continue, man. And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Christ of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Christ rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace, and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. And they were all amazed in so much that they questioned among themselves saying, what thing is this? What new doctrine of this for with authority commanded he, even the unclean spirits and they do obey him. Brothers and sisters, the demon in that man had been peaceful and quiet during all the many years that the Pharisees had preached in that synagogue. Okay. So what here we learn that doctrine alone is, It only makes you a scribe, brothers and sisters. There's something else that's needed. When we read these texts, brothers and sisters, the unclean spirit in verse 23, let's read it again. In verse 23 is singular. But in 24, the spirit asks if Christ had come to destroy us. Plural. Let's read it again. Mark 1 and 23. And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out. Now, brothers and sisters, He was in the synagogue on the Sabbath. So he followed the law, yet he had an unclean spirit. Showing you what? The law alone does not exercise demonic possession, brothers and sisters. Okay? (laughs) So that means that you can follow the Torah. You can follow the Sabbath and still be under attack by unclean spirits, brothers and sisters. And we really need to point this out here. Okay, we really need to point this out here. Let's go to Ecclesiasticus, brother, in the Apocrypha, 19 and 19. Ecclesiasticus, 19 and 19. The knowledge of the commandments of the Lord is the doctrine of life. And they that do things that please him shall receive the fruit of the tree of immortality. Brothers and sisters, according to the text, knowledge of the path and walking the path are two separate things. Let's read that again. Verse 19. The knowledge of the commandments of the Lord is the doctrine of life. See that the knowledge of it is the doctrine of life. But and they that do things that please him. See, they that do things that please him, not know things, but do things. They that do things that please him shall receive the fruit of the tree of immortality. See? So knowledge of his laws without application of those laws is unprofitable, brothers and sisters. Okay? Make your education valuable. Apply what you've learned, brothers and sisters. Because why? Knowledge only has value in its application. See? See? It's the action that pleases God, not the accumulation of knowledge. Let's read that again, brother, please. Ecclesiastes 19 and 19. The knowledge of the commandments of the Lord is the doctrine of life. And they that do things that please him shall receive the fruit of the tree of immortality. So, brothers and sisters, many things can masquerade as the real thing, but fail upon closer inspection. So, we're seeing something here, brothers and sisters. They that do the things that please him shall receive the fruit of tree of immortality. So, now we're, we're, we're getting somewhere here, okay? Because John told us what, brothers and sisters? John 7 and 17 said, if a man do the will of God, he'll understand the doctrine. But you must be willing to do it before you understand it. See? And, and that leads us here. Knowledge of it, brothers and sisters, is not enough. You must be willing to do the things that please him. If you do the things that please him, that affect your mental health, brothers and sisters. We're going to show you. We're going to show you this. Let's go to Ecclesiasticus 21 and 18, brother. Just a few chapters over. Ecclesiasticus 21 and 18. As is a house that is destroyed, so is wisdom to a fool. And the knowledge of the unwise is as talk without sense. Doctrine unto fools is as fetters on the feet, and like manacles on the right hand. Mm. Brothers and sisters, the first thing we learn is wisdom to a fool is destructive. Read that from the top, brother, please. Verse 18. As is a house that is destroyed, so is wisdom to a fool. So is the Holy Spirit to a fool. And the knowledge of the unwise is as talk without sense. Doctrine unto fools is as fetters on the feet, Mm. and like manacles on the right hand. Look at that, brothers and sisters. Read 19 again. Verse 19. Doctrine unto fools is as fetters on the feet. Is as chains on the feet. And like manacles on the right hand. The doctrine devoid of the lifestyle leads to destruction. You see that, brothers and sisters? This is what he's showing you here. See? So you can have the doctrine. You can have the Bible. Without the proper lifestyle, it's going to lead to demonic attack, brothers and sisters. Even more so. Even more so. The Bible tell you, <laughs> if you come to the truth and you walk away, you become worse than you were before. The Bible tell you when the unclean spirit come out of a man. He comes back again. And if he find that spirit, that house, that vessel, that home, swept and garnished, empty, he come back with seven more of his homies. See this? This is where mental illness comes from, brothers and sisters. It's spiritual. See, they don't want you to see that there's a spiritual component to this thing, brothers and sisters. Let's go to John 5 and 39, brother. We're just trying to show you, brothers and sisters, that doctrine is not everything. Okay? Okay. Doctrine is not everything. John 5 and 39. Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. And ye will not come to me, that ye might have life. Christ rebuked the Pharisees for merely studying the word of God, but not coming to him. Brothers and sisters, read verse 40. Verse 40. And you will not come to me that ye might have life. See? Read verse 39 one more time, brother, please. John 5 or 39. Search the scriptures. For in them ye think ye have eternal mm. life. Right away, he acknowledges that we don't know where to find eternal life. <laughs> Read that again, brother, please. Search the scriptures. For in them he think he have eternal life. Look at that. According to Christ, our mistake is we think eternal life is in the doctrine. (laughs) Eternal life is not in the scriptures, brothers and sisters. Okay? It's in obedience. Let's prove that. Go to John 10 and 27, brother, please. Same book. Different chapter. Let us show you this. Eternal life is not in the scriptures. It's in obedience. Because why? These people, when we went into slavery, had the scriptures. John 10 and 27. My sheep hear my voice. Oh, and I know them. Read that again. My sheep hear my voice. My sheep hear my voice. So my sheep implies ownership, which means lordship. Brothers and sisters, Continue. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life. Look at this, brothers and sisters. Why do they follow? Because that which is owned has no right of will contrary to the will of the owner. That's why. Read that one more time. Verse 27, brother. John 10 and 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Now, brothers and sisters, examine the three three distinctive marks of the most highest followers read 27 one more time brother my sheep hear my voice they hear my voice and i know them i know them and they follow me and they follow me so according to the author how we respond to the voice of the messiah determines who we are continue brother please verse 28 and i give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. So it's clear, brothers and sisters, the implication is that your ability to be led is tied to eternal life. Because he said, and they follow me, and because they follow me, I give them eternal life. See that? See? So it's about following, it's about hearing him, brothers and sisters. It's about how you respond to his voice. According to the author, how you respond to his voice determines who you are. Because if you're, if you're his sheep, according to the text, you respond to his voice with obedience. So that means what we have to learn to be able to distinguish the voice of the Most High. See that? Because not being able to distinguish the voice of your Creator leads to mental illness. Brothers and sisters. We're going to prove that. Let's go to John 3 and 36, brother. The mystery of pleasure and pain, brothers and sisters. We're going to talk about it today. Every decision that we make is to either seek pleasure or avoid pain. And because of that, you become an easy target for the enemy. John 3 and 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Brothers and sisters, the true complexities of John's gospel can only be revealed in the Greek language. Okay, this word, read that one more time, brother, please. Verse 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. So, brothers and sisters, look at this. This word carries the idea of refusal to submit or to revolt. Continue, brother. But the wrath of God abideth on him. See, so in this verse, believing in Christ and obeying him are used synonymously, brothers and sisters. So, simply put, true faith is obedient faith. Read that one more time, brother. John 3 and 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth on him. See, so according to the author, true belief requires obedience, brothers and sisters. Examine the connection between salvation and obedience. See, God's definition of believing involves obeying, brothers and sisters, okay? (laughs) So let's be clear on that. Obedience is necessary to receive eternal life. He that believeth on the Son, believeth is shown in obedience. So when we examine the text closely and carefully, God's wrath rests on those who refuse to capitulate. He that believeth on the Son have everlasting life. So he who obeyed the Son have everlasting life. How can you obey someone you haven't, been trained to hear. See? So we have to first start with the foundation, brothers and sisters, because why Isaiah 26 says, perfect peace had he whose mind is stayed on the most high. That's Isaiah 26. So clearly, a man or woman struggling with mental illness, it's his thoughts are in the wrong place. His mind, his affections, her affections are set In the wrong space. Brothers and sisters. So we have to attack this illness. On a thought level. Let's go to Hebrews brother. 5 and 8. Let us see. Let us see. Because why? We learn how to overcome. Mental illness through the Messiah himself. Let's go to to Hebrews 5 and 8 brother. Hebrews 5 verse 8. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all of them that obey him. Look at that, brothers and sisters. According to the text, the ability to obey has to be learned. It doesn't come naturally. Read that one more time. Verse eight, brother. Hebrews five and eight. Though he were a son. Yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Yet yet what, brother? Yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. The obedience Christ learned was through suffering, not believing, brothers and sisters. Okay? So having to submit to something that opposes our own will is the only way to learn obedience. See? Some of us stopped eating pork. You didn't learn obedience through that because you didn't suffer through that. You didn't really feel that strongly about pork, (laughs) so it wasn't hard for you to put down. You didn't really feel strongly about Christmas, so it was easy to put down, but what about those things you feel strongly about? Because see, that's where you learn obedience, It's when you feel strongly, passionately about something, yet the answer is no, and you have to capitulate, you have to acquiesce. There is when you learn obedience, when it hurts to obey, when I have to lay down my own ambition. See, it's only when we have to renounce our own will that obedience is learned. If I tell my son to eat a bowl of ice cream every day, you know, for breakfast, he's not learning obedience because why? He doesn't have a problem eating ice cream for breakfast every day. See that? So you have to learn obedience. Let's read that again, brother, please. Hebrews 5 and 8. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Now, this is the most important part. And being made perfect. Being made perfect. Not created perfect. Being made perfect. That means he became perfect. And being made perfect, he became... See that? He became... The author of eternal salvation. So that means he wasn't always, he had to become, he became, he became the author of eternal salvation by what, brothers and sisters? Read that, brother. Hebrews 5 and 8. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Unto who, brother? All them that obey him. He's the He's the author of salvation unto who, brother? Unto all them that obey him. He is the author and source of eternal salvation only to those who obey him. You see that? So it's quite clear that there are conditions laid down for those who wish to avail themselves of this salvation, brothers and sisters. See, The only is the author in eternal salvation unto those who obey him. How can you obey somebody you can't hear? My sheep hear my voice, they follow me and I give them eternal life. See that? So your, your ear must be trained to distinguish the voice of your shepherd. Let's go to John 8 and 12, brother. Because why? We have to first start with the foundation. Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the light. And no man cometh to the Father but by me. So we have to first start there. With Christ, who was a black man. Let's put that out there. Let's go to John 8 and 12, brother. John 8 and 12. What's that saying? Then spake Christ again unto them, saying... I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light uh, <clears> of <throat> excuse me. But shall have the light of life. Look at that. So Christ explicitly claims that He is the single, solitary source of light. Read that one more time, please, brother. Verse twelve. Then spake Christ again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness. He that what? He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness. Darkness is a metaphor for ignorance. He that followeth me what? He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness. So that means you can admire Christ. You can read about him and still walk in darkness. But he that what, brother? He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness. See, he who follows me. So Christ gave an exhortation under the idea that he is the light of the world. Brothers and sisters, okay? See, the one who follows Christ has the light to guide him. Read that again, brother, please. John 8 and 12. Then spake Christ again unto them. So look at this. Saying, I am the light of I, the world I am the light imagine a lantern on a dark road. he that followeth me shall not walk in darkness anyone behind the lantern will have light but shall have the light of life see so the one who follows Christ will now have the light to guide him and guess what we must continue to obey in order to excuse me in order to generate the light that we can't Okay? See? In order to stay out of ignorance, to stay in this light, we have to follow Him. Not admire Him, not read about Him, but follow Him, brothers and sisters. So, this is the way out. We have to put things into His proper perspective. Let's go to Psalms, brother, 103 and 13. We're going to have Brother Christopher read the 13th verse and the 14th verse. Psalms 103 and 13. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. Now, brothers and sisters, according to the Psalms, the Most High is cognizant of our natural disposition. Can you read 14 again, Brother? Verse fourteen For he knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. He knoweth our frame. When you pull that word frame up in the Hebrew it actually says framework, mental framework. So he knows our mental makeup, our mental framework. So the test, excuse me, the text highlights the most high's recognition of man's biological inclinations. He said, Listen, I have pity on you, because I know your mental capacity. He remembers that we are what? He remembereth that we are dust. Brothers and sisters, remember the Most High cursed the ground. He didn't curse Adam, he cursed the ground. Where did Adam come from? The dust. So today we'll learn the two principles that form every decision in your life. God knows your framework. He knows your mental framework. And we're going to go into it today because it's revealed in the Bible. You must understand your mental framework. Let's go to Ecclesiasticus, brother, 11 and 25. The title of today's lesson, The Mystery of Pleasure and Pain. Brothers and sisters, there are principles in this earth. One of those principles are the principle of pleasure and pain, which means that every decision man and woman make in their life is to either, number one, seek pleasure, or number two, to avoid pain. And most times, People are more adamant about avoiding pain than seeking pleasure. We're going to prove this. Let's go to Ecclesiastes 11 and 25, brothers and sisters. Ecclesiasticus 11 and 25. In the day of prosperity, there is forgetfulness of affliction. And in the day of affliction, there is no more remembrance of prosperity. You see that? Read that again, brother, please. Because according to the text, the only thing that will make a man forget pleasure is the experience of pain. Read that again, brother. Verse 25. In the day of prosperity, there is a forgetfulness of affliction. See that? When you're having prosperity, you forget about affliction. But... And in the day of affliction, there is no more remembrance of prosperity. See that? So in this passage, the author teaches us that pain is easily forgotten. You see? In the day of prosperity, there's a forgetfulness of affliction. Jump to verse 27, brother. Ecclesiastes 11 and 27. The affliction of an hour maketh a man forget pleasure. And in his end, his deeds shall be discovered. Look at that. See, your natural defense mechanism gives top priority to survival, which is why you instinctively try to avoid pain. See, the affliction of an hour, what, brother? The affliction of an hour maketh a man forget pleasure. There's only one thing that can make a man forget pleasure, and that's pain, according to the Bible. See that? So here you have pain and pleasure, caught between pain and pleasure. We continue to pursue pleasure, so the Most High has to cause pain, brothers and sisters. We need to understand what goes into our decision making. Every decision that you make, there's three questions that you ask yourself. And number one is, what does this mean? What does this mean? Will this hurt? Will this be painful? What shall I do? Those are the three questions you ask yourself before you make a decision. Is this going to hurt? Is this going to benefit me? Is there going to be some pleasure involved in this? And that makes you predictable, brothers and sisters, for an enemy that's looking to destroy you. See? See? And that's why we had to find Christ. Because why? Our confidence comes from Christ. That's where our confidence comes from. Our strength comes from Christ. That's where your strength is supposed to come from. That's where your confidence is supposed to come from. Your confidence doesn't come from within yourself. Your confidence comes from your identity in Christ. So we had to first make sure we see Christ clearly. And now we can go into the pain, the pleasure. Let's read 25 and then jump to 27 again, brother. Ecclesiasticus 11 and 25. In the day of prosperity, there is a forgetfulness of affliction. And in the day of affliction, there is no more remembrance of prosperity. Jump to verse 27, brother. Verse 27. The affliction of an hour maketh a man forget pleasure. The pain of an hour maketh a man forget pleasure. And in his end, his deeds shall be discovered. See that? The mystery between pleasure and pain. Pain and pleasure. Brothers and sisters. Let's go to Ecclesiastes. We're going from Ecclesiasticus to Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament. Ecclesiastes 7 and 3, 7 and 4. Brothers and sisters. Follow us there, please. Brothers and sisters, we're at Ecclesiastes, the 7th chapter, the 3rd and 4th verse. Can you follow us there? Ecclesiastes 7 and 3. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by the sadness of the countenance the heart is made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. Look at this, brothers and sisters. I need you to read verse 3 because this goes against conventional wisdom. And that's why we've been telling you that you cannot bring your logic to the Bible because the Bible is not a logical book. It's a spiritually divine book. Okay, so if you try to bring your logic into a book like this, you will not be able to ascertain this. Ecclesiastes 7 and 3. Sorrow is better than laughter. Why? For by the sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better. See, so sorrow leads to reflective thinking. It leads to self-examination, brothers and sisters, right? So we tend to look more seriously to God in times of need. In laughter, we rarely consider self-improvement, rarely. Read that one more time, brother. Verse three, sorrow is better than laughter. Why? Why? For by the sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better. See, so laughter frequently leaves an individual essentially unchanged. So it's telling you sorrow is good. It's good if you know how to use this. Okay, so you can't make decisions based on avoiding sorrow. (laughs) See, because that's how you get manipulated. Satan understands that you're going to make decisions to avoid pain every time or what you perceive as pain. And because of that, you're going to walk right into a snare. Let's read that again, brother, please. Ecclesiastes 7 and 3. Sorrow is better than laughter. For by the sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of the morning. But the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. The house of mourning, brothers and sisters, causes the living to consider their ways. That's a funeral home, brothers and sisters, okay? So death, it serves to promote minding your own mortality. That's why it says, what, brother, verse 4? The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. A wise man, his heart is where? In the house of mourning. Funeral homes. How do you, what? Reflective thinking, right? Continue. But the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. Mirth means joy, brothers and sisters, or enjoyment. So a fool's mind is cemented on the path to pleasure. See that? So it says the heart of the wise is where? In the house of mourning. It doesn't avoid sorrow. The heart of fools is attracted to pleasure. So there it goes again. There it is again, brothers and sisters. Sorrow and laughter... House of mourning, house of mirth, pleasure, pain, pleasure, pain. So what we see in verse four, read that again, brother, please. Ecclesiastes seven and four, the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, see? But the heart of fools is in the house of mirth, see? The heart of fools, they regard only their present delight. You see that? And that's going to lead to mental illness, brothers and sisters. A hyper, you know, a hyper-materialistic society. That's what this leads to. That's what all of this leads to, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Hebrews 11 and 24. Because the Bible talks about this. They're they're just learning human behavior. (laughs) Okay? They're just learning. They're just catching up with the Bible. And they're still far behind. Let's go to Hebrews 11 and 24 through 26. Hebrews 11 and 24. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. Mm, Now, brothers and sisters, I really need you to examine this carefully, okay? Examine when Moses' service began. Read that again from the time, brother, please. Hebrews 11 and 24. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Doing what? Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. Choosing what? Rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Service can only begin once we're strong enough to choose pain rather than pleasure. You see that, brothers and sisters? He chose pain over pleasure. See? So maturity is learning to endure the pain of deferred gratification, brothers and sisters. See, in the absence of pain, there can be no growth. So here it was, a leader. The leader must not run away from pain. He must not l- run away from sorrow. Okay. So here it was. Now he had was. Now he was mature. <laughs> Choosing rather to to suffer pain with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin. Now, see, if you are trying to duck and dodge sorrow and pain, you would have never delivered our people. And see, this is what Satan understands. As long as you're trying to avoid pain and sorrow and seek pleasure, and all of your decisions are made off that methodology. You're easily manipulated. You're easily controlled. Very easy. Let's go to Matthew 16 and 23. Matthew 16 and 23. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Now, brothers and sisters, I want you to see something here, because when we set our mind on our own interests, we become a stumbling block to the kingdom of God. This is what this is what Christ was telling Peter. He had his mind on his own interests, and because of that, Christ had to say had to tell him that Satan was working through him. See, so we're showing you that what, when your mind come on your own interest, now you become a stumbling block. Now Peter had become a stumbling block to Christ. Why? Because his mind is set on his own interest. Let's read that again, brethren. Matthew 16 and 23. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. See that? Now Moses, was his mind set on his own interest? No, it said he chose rather to suffer affliction than to suffer, uh, excuse me, than to experience the pleasures of sin for a season. See? So once again, he didn't mind his own interest, brothers and sisters. See? So the way of this world is to mind your own interest. And when you do that, you open yourself up for Satan. This was Peter. The apostle. Let us prove that. Let us prove that, brothers and sisters. That when you mind your own interests, you get in the way of God. And that's going to lead to mental health issues. Let's go to Philippians 2 and 19, brother. We're going to read 19 through 21. Philippians 2 and 19. But I trust in the Lord Christ to send Timothy shortly unto you, that it also may be good, may be of good comfort, when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded. Read that again, brother. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own. For what? All seek their own. For what? All seek their own not the things which are Christ. Most of his co-workers were still self-seeking and therefore he could not send them to Philippi, brothers and sisters. Paul's co-workers had all their doctrines perfectly right, no doubt, yet they sought their own. So look at this, okay? Look at how dangerous this is. Read that again, brother. Verse 19, But I trust in the Lord Christ to send Timothy shortly unto you, that it also may be of good comfort. When I know your state, for I have no man like minded who will naturally care for your state for all seek their own, not the things which are in Christ. See, so according to the text, it's not the finer points of doctrine that made them men of God, but rather they were not self seekers. See, see that brothers and sisters, it was that they didn't seek their own is which made them men of God, not that they had all the proper doctrines because you can not have all the proper doctrines and be a person who doesn't seek his own. See that, brothers and sisters? So we have to put things into its proper perspective. Yes, we know the importance of doctrine, especially when it comes to the theology of the Bible, when it comes to teaching the Bible. Okay? But as for an individual just walking this path individually, okay, even without having all the proper doctrine, brothers and sisters, if you're a person who can lay down your selfish ambition, brothers and sisters, you're one step far. Fo- you're you're one step closer to following the Messiah. Let us show you. Let's go to Matthew 23, Matthew 23 and 25. This is one of Christ's most re- uh, repetitive. Rebukes of the Pharisees Matthew 23 and 25 Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. When you see that? So he's telling you what? You have to take care of the inside before you, you take care of the outside. So what happens? This what happens? We see the side effects. We see the symptoms. We start to try to treat the symptoms instead of the source of the sickness. He's telling you, uh-uh, you can't do that. You have to deal with the inside in order to deal with the outside. OK, you're trying to deal with the outside. This is why we take pills and all this stuff, you know, uh, antidepressants and all that. And guess what? Those are dangerous because why? Those antidepressants, they sedate you. So you your body, you look like you're fine, but inside you are running loose inside. But externally, you're sedated. So Christ is telling you, hold up now. If you don't get your mental right, if you don't get your inside right, it's going to affect what we're seeing on the outside. Let's take a look. Matthew 20 and 25. 23 and 25. Matthew 23 and 25. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees. Scribes and Pharisees. Which came first, scribes and Pharisees? We just wanted to show you the caste system, which one had more authority. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Continue. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup. He said, Focus first on what's within. Cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. See that? So the outside cleans itself. You see, brothers and sisters, now that's a principle we have to deal with. Let's go to Matthew 23 and one. Same chapter, just a few verses up. Matthew 23 and one. Then spread Christ to the multitude and to his disciples saying, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore, whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. But do not eat after their works. So Look at they that. Say, and do not. Look at that. According to Christ, the Pharisees had good doctrine and a clean external life. You see that? Because why? He said you clean the outside of the cup. So the outside was clean. <laughs> and the doctrine was good because he said all therefore whatsoever they bid you observe. Do you think he would ever say do everything the Mormons tell you? Do you think he would ever say do everything the Muslims tell you? Do you ever think he would say, do everything that the Baptists tell you? Absolutely not. But here he tells you, do all things the Pharisees bid you to do. Observe that. So that means the doctrine was right. The doctrine was clean. See, and that's the danger. That's the danger. Brothers and sisters. Let's go to Matthew 5 and 29. Same book, brothers and sisters. This is a different chapter. Matthew 5 and 29. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Brothers and sisters, I really need you to examine how Christ interprets pain. Okay? Did he say avoid pain? Did he say make decisions to avoid sorrow? Did he say make the decisions to avoid pain? Read that again, brother, please, from verse 29 and verse 30. Matthew 5 and 29. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish. So look at this. He's telling you pain is profitable. (laughs) Pain can be profitable. Read that again, brother, please. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish. And not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. You see that? So naturally, that predilection. To seek pleasure and avoid pain, that is the heart of all heathenism, brothers and sisters. That is the heart of it. That is the heart. Christ is telling you, you have to stop looking to avoid sorrow and avoid pain. You have to deal with that. Because Christ would have never died for our sins if he was looking to avoid pain. There's no way out of this without going through pain. How do we know? Jeremiah 30. What did he say? Childbirth. It's like going through childbirth. A mother can tell you. A woman can tell you. Once once he's there, there ain't no going back. (laughs) Okay, once you at nine months, there's only one way out of this. And that's through pain, baby girl. And that's what he said. That's what he was seeing in Jeremiah 30. You cannot be a man who avoids pain. You cannot be a woman who avoids pain. Why? Because circumcision hurts. Brothers and sisters. You see that? Circumcision hurts. And if you're a person looking to avoid pain at every step of the way, you'll refuse to circumcise yourself. Not just physically, but spiritually. Let's go to Proverbs 20 and 30. Why? Because Christ is telling us that pain is profitable. Let's see. Let's see. Is that true? According to the rest of the Bible. Proverbs 20 and 30. Proverbs 20 and 30. The blueness of a wound cleanseth away evil. So do stripes, the inward parts of the belly. Read that again, brother, please. The blueness of a wound cleanseth away evil. Look at that. The most effective way to purge evil is through pain. It says the blueness of a wound. Brothers and sisters, when you get struck in the same spot over and over, it turns blue. Right? Read that again, brother. Proverbs 20 and 30. The blueness of a wound cleanseth away evil. See that? So pain and suffering is meant to drive us away from sin. It's God's way to get our attention. So yes, pain is good. (laughs) Why? The blueness of a wound can cleanse away the evil that you're doing. So do stripes the inward parts of the belly. What's that? That's the spirit, brothers and sisters. (laughs) The inward parts of the belly is your spirit. That's your innermost being. You see that? The blueness of a wound cleanses away evil. Brothers and sisters, why don't you touch the stove while it's hot? Because it's painful. Pain is a great deterrent. Brothers and sisters, see that? So if you continue to try to avoid pain, you can never be in God's path. Let's go to Psalms 119, brethren. Psalms 119 and 71. Psalms 119 and 71. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. You see that? According to the psalmist, pain can be a good thing. Brothers and sisters, read that again, please. It is good for me that I have been afflicted. Why? That I might learn thy statutes. Why was it good that I was afflicted? I might learn thy statutes. So the idea is that pain helps us to learn obedience to God's word. Remember, he learned obedience by the things in which he suffered. Here it is again. It is good for me that I have been afflicted or suffering that I might learn thy statutes. See? So without the pain, you can't learn. <laughs> See? If touching a hot stove didn't burn, you could touch it every day. See? So we have to put things into its proper perspective here in the last days. Because why? It's going to be an attack on your mental on your mind, brothers and sisters. The mind is the battlefield of the last days. Let's go to Ecclesiasticus, brother. 19 and 5. Ecclesiasticus, 19 and 5. Whoso taketh pleasure in wickedness shall be condemned, but he that resisteth pleasures crowneth his life. Read that again, brother. Whoso taketh pleasure in wickedness shall be condemned, Read that one more time, brother. Whoso taketh pleasure in wickedness shall be condemned. Now look at this, brothers and sisters. According to the author, condemnation is closely associated with your pursuit for pleasure. Read that one more time, brother. Verse 5. Whoso taketh pleasure in wickedness shall be condemned. See, so we must be able to resist pleasure in order to elevate, brothers and sisters. But he that resisteth pleasures crowneth his life. See, see. So we must strive for a, a a rigorous abstinence, brothers and sisters. We must display truculent defiance to our cravings. See, he said, you have to learn to resist pleasure in order to crown your life, in order to become king, in order to be able to become citizen to the kingdom of God. You must be able to resist pleasure, because why? If you're making every decision. On that, there's going to be many snares. Many snares. Why? Because you're tied to the expense of pleasure. Let's go to Ecclesiastes, brother. Not Ecclesiasticus. We're leaving Ecclesiasticus. We're going to Ecclesiastes 6 and 7. Old Testament, brothers and sisters. Ecclesiastes 6 and 7. What's that say, brother? All the labor of man is for his mouth, and yet the appetite is not filled. Mm. Brothers and sisters, Solomon makes a profound revelation here. Let's read that one more time, brother. All the labor of man is for his mouth. It's for his what? For his mouth, and yet the appetite is not filled. Man works to feed his desires, and yet his appetite is never satisfied, brothers and sisters. See? So all labor put forth to gain ultimate satisfaction is a wasted effort because you're never satisfied. There's always more that you want. <laughs> See? If a person get high, do they just get high one time? Exactly. <laughs> See? Insatiable. If a person get drunk one time, is they good with that for the rest of their life? Or see, if a person watch point of, uh, you know, point of uh, graphic images, moving pictures, do they just do that one time and get pleasure out of it or and that's it? No, the appetite is not filled. So he points out how a man is incapable of finding joy by his own effort. See. All the labor of man is for his appetite. It's for him to consume. All the labor, all the labor, all the labor. See that? All the labor is to do what? Seek pleasure and avoid pain. Jeremiah 17 and 9 says that's a deceitfully wicked heart. That is the core, that is the source of all heathenism, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Proverbs 16 and 26, brothers and sisters. Proverbs, the 16th chapter, the 26th verse. Proverbs 16 and 26. What's that say, brother? He that laboreth, laboreth for himself. For his mouth craveth it of him. Mm, Men work hard by selfish necessity for themselves. See? (laughs) So man only labors for satisfaction of his appetite or gratification of his desires. See that? Read that again, brother. This is a natural man. Verse 26. He that laboreth, laboreth for himself. For his mouth craveth it of him. Look at that. For what, brother? For his mouth craveth it of him. It's telling you that he will only labor for what his mouth craves. So if you don't hunger for God, you will not labor for God. You see that, brothers and sisters? (laughs) He reveals that people will work hard for what they're interested in. See? He that laboreth, laboreth for himself for his mouth crave it of him see because of what his mouth crave he must labor <laughs> you see that brothers and sisters see there are certain principles in the bible that help you understand human behavior brothers and sisters okay Let's go to Ecclesiastes, brother. Two and one. Same book. Actually, not the same book. St- same half of the book. Old Testament. We're still in the Tanakh, brothers and sisters. We're at Ecclesiastes 2 and 1 through 10. Ecclesiastes 2 and 1. I said in my heart, go to now. I reprove thee with mirth. Therefore, enjoy pleasure. And behold, this also is vanity. Read that again, brother. And behold, this also is vanity. No, read that from the top, brother, please. (coughs) Excuse me. Ecclesiastes 2 and 1. Listen clearly. I said in my heart. He said in his heart. Go to now. I will prove thee with mirth. I will prove thee with joy. Therefore, enjoy pleasure. Do what? Therefore, enjoy pleasure. And behold, this also is vanity. Vanity means it has no value. Read. Verse two. I said of laughter, it is mad and of mirth. What doeth it? What does joy really do for you? I sought in my heart to give myself unto wine. I gave myself unto strong drink yet acquainting mine heart with wisdom and to lay hold on folly till I might see what was that good for the sons of men. Till what? Till I might see what was that good for the sons of so men. So he's telling you that I tried to seek out there everything that was pleasurable, right? Even to lay hold on folly, right? Why? To see what was good for the sons of men. That means man, right? Which they should do what? Which they should do under the heaven all the days of their life. So now he's getting ready to go into his diatribe, brothers and sisters, of what he experienced, okay? Remember, this is the wisest man to have ever lived, okay? He said that he sought after what? He sought after joy. He sought after pleasure. He sought after mirth. And this is what he did in order to obtain that joy. Let's read verse 4, brother. Ecclesiastes 2 and 4. I made me great works, I builded me houses, I planted me vineyards, I made me gardens and orchids, and I planted trees in them of all kind of fruits. I made me pools of water to water where to water therewith the wood that bringeth forth trees. I got me servants and maidens, and had servants born in my house. Also I had great possessions of great. And small cattle, above all that were in Jerusalem before me. I gathered me also silver and gold, and the peculiar treasure of kings and of the provinces. I got me men singers and women singers, and the delights of the sons of men, as musical instruments, and that all of sorts. So I was great, and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me, and whatsoever my eyes desired, read that again. And whatsoever my eyes desired, I kept not from them anything. His eyes saw, anything he desired, he got. And whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy. He did what. I withheld not my heart from any joy. For my heart rejoiced in all my labor. And this was my portion of all my labor. You see this, brothers and sisters? Look at this. So he sought out for this, right? He sought out for for pleasure. And that seeking that pleasure led to him doing all of those things, brothers and sisters. What was the answer, though? Read verse 11, brother, please. Ecclesiastes 2 and 11. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought and on the labor that I had labored to do. And behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit. Frustration of the spirit. And there was no profit under the sun. Look at that, brothers and sisters. <laughs> there was no profit under the sun. You see that? So now he's done what? He's exhausted Why? Because he's done all these things searching for pleasure that's escaped. See? And because of that, because of joy, being an escape artist, being so elusive, being so evasive, Ecclesiasticus tells us what? Let's go to Ecclesiasticus 18. Not Ecclesiastes, but Ecclesiasticus in the Apographer, also known as Sirach. Ecclesiasticus 18 and 32. Ecclesiasticus 18 and 32, take not pleasure in much good cheer, neither be tied to the expense thereof. See that? Take not much pleasure in good cheer, and don't be tied to the expense of pleasure. Why? Because if you are tied to the expense of pleasure, what happens? Take not pleasure in much good cheer, neither be tied to the expense thereof. Why? Be not made a beggar by banqueting upon borrowing, when thou hast nothing in thy purse. For thou shalt lie and wait for thine own life, and be talked on. Look at that. He's telling you, when you do that, if you tie yourself to the expense of pleasure, you will become a beggar banqueting upon borrowing. That means you eat based on you borrowing. And then it tells you, when you have nothing in your purse, for thou shalt lie and wait for thy own life and be talked on. That means what? When you do that, when you borrow, now you owe time a servitude. And people are going to talk about you behind your back. See, so the Bible is being realistic here. Okay? Do not be tied to pleasure. Because it's going to lead to poverty. See? And they knew this. That's why all the music that we listen to is about pleasure. See? That's all hip hop and R&B is about. It's all about pleasure. See? The music has changed. Okay? The music has changed, brothers and sisters. I'm um, I heard a song the other day and I'm like, what? I'm whipping it. I'm I'm whipping it. I'm rolling it. I'm I'm like, what what, what is this what is this garbage? I got the white and the in the in the in the Molly and the I'm like is is this what my is this what kids are listening to? Is this what our people are listening to? See? It's all about sex. It's all about pleasure. They understood what came from it. They understood what came from pushing that type of you know, peddling that type of garbage amongst our people. Being tied to pleasure. Nobody seek more pleasure than us. At least that's how it's portrayed in the media. See? They understood being tied to the expense thereof. Would have us make decisions that we may never recuperate from. Let's go to Luke, brother. 10 and 38. Luke, the 10th chapter, the 38th verse. Brothers and sisters, we're going to have Brother Christopher read all the way down to the 42nd verse. Luke 10 and 38. Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Christ's feet and heard his word. She did what? And heard his word. She sat at his feet and heard his word. <clears throat> but Martha was cumbered about much serving. She was worried. She was. She was worried about much serving. And came to him and said, "Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? You don't care that I'm here working alone? Bid her therefore that she may help me. Tell her that she has to help." And Christ answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha. Listen to this. Thou art careful and troubled about many things. Martha, Martha, you're troubled with many things. But one thing is needful. Read that again. But one thing is needful. Read that again, brother. But one thing is needful. Brothers and sisters, we have to get to the point where we know that only one thing is needful. Okay? Okay? Because why? You see the distress that she was under? You see that mental anguish she was under? Why? <laughs> why? Because she was out of water She was not in line. See? So now she's angry that her sister has not joined her in her busyness. That's, that should not be, brothers and sisters. See? So he said, your sister has chosen the thing that's right, which is to listen to me. Listen to me. See, so you can do all these works and all that in the Bible and all that. But if you don't listen. See, and this is what we need our people to understand. You're worried with many things, but only one thing is needful. See, so we have to be able to brush aside all the ancillary things, okay, and focus on the primary. Because when you start focusing on all these ancillary problems that you have, brothers and sisters, it's going to affect you mentally. How do we know? Because this is what Martha was doing. Let's read it again. Luke 10 and 38. Now it came to pass as they went, that he entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Christ's feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered much about serving. <clears throat> but Martha was cumbered about much serving, and came to him and said, "Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone?" Bid her, therefore, that she help me. And Christ answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. you worried about many things, Martha. But one thing is needful. How many things? One thing is needful. And Mary has chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. Now that's, this is vital. This is something we need to be able to understand. We need to be able to distinguish what is primary and what is ancillary, brothers and sisters, okay? Because without that, these last days are going to be a world of trouble for you, brothers and sisters. So we already see that not only is she doing busy work, she's mad that her sister will not join her in her busyness that's inappropriate. You see that? So now, let us show you the primary concern here. You need to be able to distinguish between primary and ancillary, brothers and sisters. Why do we say that? Go to 1 Corinthians 6 and 12. 1 Corinthians 6 and 12. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Mm, brothers and sisters, there are many lawful things on earth that you can do, but they're not all profitable, but spiritual development. And that's what the Apostle Paul is breaking down here. If you do not learn to be selective, you're going to miss out on God's plan for your life. Let's read that again, brother. First Corinthians 6 and 12. All things are lawful for me. I can do all things, but all things are not expedient. Everything's not profitable, though. All things are lawful for me, even though I can do it. But I will not be brought under the power of any. Doesn't mean I'm going to exercise that right. So, in order to affect, to be a you know, in order to be an effective servant of the Most High God, brothers and sisters, you will have to learn to discern between the profitable in the lawful okay the secret of a godly life lies in the choices we make brothers and sisters so don't get encumbered with anything that would impede your progress see all things are lawful unto me but all things are profitable was Mary doing something wrong by serving Christ no but it wasn't profitable what she was doing it wasn't against the law but it wasn't profitable so that's what That's where Satan tries to come in. He tries to get you taken off on things that are lawful but unprofitable. He told Christ to what? Turn these stones into bread. Now, is that against the law to turn stones into bread? No. But it wasn't profitable in that moment for him to do. So we have to be able to distinguish between the lawful and the profitable, brothers and sisters. Because if you can't do that, that's going to affect your mental health. Brothers and sisters. And the methodology in in which you use to make decisions. Brothers and sisters, follow us to Ecclesiasticus, the 37th chapter, the 27th and the 28th verse. Ecclesiasticus 37 and 27. My son, prove thy soul in thy life, and see what is evil for it, and give not that unto it. For all things are not profitable for all men. Neither hath every soul pleasure in everything. Read that again, brother, please. Verse 27. My son, prove thy soul in thy life. Prove thy soul in thy life. So according to the author, life is a journey in which is to be used to discover yourself, brothers and sisters, and see what is evil for it, and give not that unto it. See? For all things are profitable, For all things are not profitable for all men. Neither hath every soul pleasure in everything. See, so in this particular text, we learn that the soul is the seat from which pleasure derives from. See, it says, for all things are not profitable for all men. Neither have every soul pleasure in everything. That means the soul is where pleasure is felt. See, so here we learn the motive behind the mandated, the, the conversion of the soul. Right that we read of in Psalms The soul of the man must be made to yield Brothers and sisters read 28 brother please Ecclesiasticus 37 and 28 For all things are not profitable for all men For all things are not profitable for all men You see that so we have to be clear on that Brothers and sisters you need to be able to distinguish Especially men you need to be able to distinguish between what's lawful and what's profitable. Because everything that's lawful is not profitable, brothers and sisters. And Satan knows this. The enemy understands this. Okay? Let's go to Matthew 11, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Matthew 11 and 28. Well, have Brother Christopher read the 28th through the 30th verse. Matthew 11 and 28. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, brothers and sisters, take a listen to this, okay? Because why? This is a three-part series on mental health, mental illness. This is what Christ is telling you. Matthew 11 and 28. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Come unto me. All that are labor and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. And what? I will give you rest. Continue. Take my yoke upon you. Do what? Take my yoke upon you. Do what, brother? Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart and ye shall find rest unto your souls. See, so according to the text, you must take the yoke first before you can learn, brothers and sisters. You see that? Now, look at this. He said, learn humility from Christ. Read that again, brother. Verse 28. Verse 28. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, I am meek. See? I am meek. He said, learn humility from him. See? Not from anyone else. Because why? Would would a person consider when Christ whipped those people out of the temple, would they consider that meek and humble? Probably not. That's why he said, You must learn what meekness and humility is for me. Not to be a doormat. That's not humility. That's weakness. There's a difference. Continue, brother. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, so the suggestion was that we learn humility from Christ rather than any other alternative sources, brothers and sisters. Okay, and what did the last part say? Verse 30. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Look at that. A yoke is a farming implement that joins two animals. So they can share the workload evenly and become more productive, brothers and sisters. So by using the illustration of a yoke, Christ is asking us to share and be partners with him in his ministry, brothers and sisters. Okay. notice that there are three commands, each calling for a choice to respond to surrender to Christ. Come, take, learn. Read that again, brother. Matthew 11 and 28. Come unto me. All ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come. Take my yoke upon you. Take. And learn of me. Learn, brothers and sisters. So it is a strange paradox that a man already weary and overloaded should endure yet another heavy burden. You see that? Come unto me, all ye that are labor, labor and are heavy laden. And then he tells you, take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. See that? So you cannot bring your logic to the Bible, brothers and sisters. Your logic does not work well with the Bible. You have to keep your logic outside of the Bible. Okay? Because this is not a logical book. This is a spiritually divine book, brothers and sisters. And you cannot logically ascertain this devoid of the Holy Spirit. We want to just put that out there, okay? Let's go to 2 Corinthians 4 and 10, brothers and sisters. Second Corinthians, the fourth chapter, the 10th verse. Second Corinthians four and 10. What's that say, brother? Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Christ, that the life also of Christ might be made manifest in our body. It was the consistent denial of his own will that made Christ a spiritual man. Okay, this is what is being said. It is the constant denial of our self-will that will make us spiritual also, brothers and sisters. Read that again, please. Verse 10, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Christ. The dying of the Lord Christ. What is that dying to his own will, brothers and sisters? That the life also of Christ might be made manifest in our body. That what? That the life also of Christ might be made manifest in our body. See that. So the apostle Paul refers to denying the desires of self, brothers and sisters. Read that one more time. Second Corinthians four and ten, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Christ, that the life also of Christ might be made manifest in our body. See that. So he's telling you, you have to die, brothers and sisters. You have to die, okay, in order to, what, have life, see? So you have to die first. Read that again, brother. Verse 10, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Christ, that the life also of Christ might be made manifest in our body. See that? So brothers and sisters, faith alone is not enough to prove the legitimacy of submission it's clear here that salvation cannot be legitimized without the appropriate works see for we which live are always delivered unto the death for christ's sake that the life of christ may be manifest in our mortal flesh brothers and sisters so if mere belief in the most high could save the soul then satan is a believer you see that salvation cannot be legitimized without the appropriate works brothers and sisters let's go to first peter we're at first peter the fourth chapter the first and the second verse and we're going to end it here brothers and sisters first peter four and one for as much then as christ hath suffered for us in the flesh Arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. Now, look at this. Peter writes that believers should arm themselves with the same attitude towards suffering that Christ carried. Now, that is not natural, brothers and sisters, which means what? (laughs) Read that again, please, brother. For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. With the what? With the same mind. With the what, brother? With the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. For he that what? Hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. See, so the suffering stems from his denial, brothers and sisters. See, so the context of this passage shows that suffering in the flesh is denial of one's own will. Continue, brother, please. Verse 2. That he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. See, so the opposite of pleasure is suffering. To suffer is to deny our flesh the pleasure of sin, brothers and sisters. So it refers to the pain caused to the flesh by the denial of his desires, brothers and sisters. Today, brothers and sisters, we utilize the Bible to learn about human behavior. We encourage you to circumcise yourself, circumcise that part of your life, brothers and sisters. We cannot walk this path. We cannot pick up the cross and look to avoid the cross, brothers and sisters. We cannot do it. The title of today's lesson, brothers and sisters, The Mystery of of pleasure and pain. We want to say, Quam Yasharala, Quam Yasharala, sin no more, sin no more.